But let me give you a little background on the book of James. Uh, it's actually not a book. It's a letter. It's a letter written um, to followers of Jesus. It was written by a man named James um, who was actually a half-brother of Jesus. Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection. James went on to become the, the head of the church in Jerusalem. And he was a, he's called, a, in, the, in the Bible, he's called a pillar in the church. He was very, very, very well known. As a matter of fact, another of uh, Jesus' half-brothers, a uh, um, guy by the name of Jude, refers to himself not as Jesus' half-brother, but as the brother of James. That's how well known that James was. Uh, tradition has it that he was referred to as old camel knees because his knees were so calloused from just hours and hours and hours of prayer. He died somewhere around 62 AD. He was beheaded under the persecution of Emperor Nero. But he, he writes this letter and it's full of wisdom, insight into how to practically live out your faith. So we're going to start right in verse 1 and 2. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What a great opening. I mean, he just dives right in. So James, again, was the, was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And so he's writing as a pastor to followers of Jesus who are now coming under persecution. Uh, followers of Christ were being persecuted in Jerusalem. And so many, many, many of the followers scattered. So he's writing to Jewish believers, men and women who were uh, Jewish by birth. They uh, now became followers of Christ and they are displaced. They have run for their lives. They're in hiding. So he writes this letter. Their letter was probably sent out in secret so that it could make it to these different places and be read and be internalized. So all these scattered, persecuted Christians, the first thing he says is consider it joy because of what you're going through. Now, that may sound odd to you because we don't often consider persecution, trials, difficulties, challenges as something to be rejoiced in, something to be joyful about. But the whole point that James is getting at is I want you to see things from a different perspective. So much of life is shaped by how we view it. So what he's saying in essence in this first verse, these first two verses is this, that by changing your perspective, it will change your life. Changing your perspective will change your life. See, difficulties, trials, they're going to come. Life happens fast and it hits you hard and challenges come out of left field. I mean, some of you were pushing a million dollars in your retirement account just a few months ago. Now you're going, I got to go back to work. Life hits you hard and it comes fast and you go, I don't know how I'm going to survive through retirement. Some of you all of a sudden find yourself uh, in a marriage that's about to fall apart or has fallen apart and you go, I never saw this coming. Some of you get the call from the doctor and the test results came back and it's not good. Some of you get a knock on the door in the middle of the night and it's the police officer standing there saying, there's been an accident. Life comes hard, life comes fast, and trials seemingly come out of left field. And there's the normal way of viewing those things is like, I'm a victim, a perspective, the victim mentality. 
Another perspective is to point the finger of blame. You did this. He did this. She did this. They did this. Another perspective is simply to to somehow or other say, life isn't fair. I've gotten dealt a, a, a bad hand. I'm always getting the short stick. Those are the normal perspectives that we often take in life. But James says, there's a different perspective I want you to take, a better perspective, a perspective that runs so counter to what our culture would have you think. And it's not easy. It's not fun. But I'm telling you, if you'll take this perspective, it will change your life because you'll see an opportunity that you never saw before. And it's, it's a better way to live, that you can consider it joy. So changing your perspective will change your life. And he says, so consider it joy when you go through trials. Now, please don't misunderstand that. Considering it joy doesn't mean what you're going through is joyful. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you should be happy about any of the difficulties you're facing. He's not saying you should feel joyful about it. And he's not saying, as so many people do, put on a phony plastic smile. Oh, praise Jesus. Isn't life good? Everyone's left me. I'm I'm poor and I've got nothing. Jesus is so good. No, uh, Jesus is good, but that situation stinks. It's hard. It's knocked you for a loop, and it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to have all these different emotions because joy, the joy that James talking, as James is talking about is deeper than emotion. The joy that James is talking about is about perspective. Joy is based on, you, on how you view your trials, not how you feel about them. You can really not like them. You can really be like torqued about them, upset. You know, you, you, you go to your best friend and you vent and they're like, wow. And you're like, I'm just venting. I get it. I understand. There's times you have to vent. I, I have been mistreated. I have been talked about. I have been lied about. Things have been said about me. I've been kicked to the curb. I've had people in churches say, we wish you were dead. I don't like any of that stuff. I'm not like, oh, Jesus. I'm like, this is awful. But you know what? It's not about how I feel about what people said about me. It's about how I view it. If I can view it the way God wants me to view it, if I can change my perspective, then all the things I go through can be an opportunity. See, what you go through will shape your life. The things that that hurt you, wound you, are an opportunity to grow or to retreat. They make you better. They can make you bitter. You can say it's going to... produce and create quality in my character, or it's going to cause me to quit. You show me, you tell me, this is counseling 101. It doesn't matter if it's pastoral counseling or professional Christian counseling or a psychiatrist or a psychologist. You go to someone and you sit down and talk. What do they want to find out? What is it that hurt you, that wounded you, that damaged you the most? Why? Because once you find that out, I can point to you exactly how it's shaped you, for good or for, or for the not so good, how it's made you better, or how it's made you bitter, resentful, untrusting. James is saying, look, you're going to go through stuff. Don't allow it to destroy your life. Allow it to make you better. So this is what he goes on to say. He says, Why should you be joyful? Because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. 
So James is saying, listen, the situation might not be joyful, but look, God wants to use this for your betterment if you will let him. Everybody I know that has great character, that has a consistent character, that has unyielding faith, uncompromising walk with the Lord. Anyone that I know now, not people who say they have it. There's people who talk a good game. There's people, oh, I mean, remember Peter? Lord, I'll follow you if everybody else deserts you. I don't even know who the man is. So I don't mean people who talk a good game. I mean after, after Peter went through that, after he's restored by Jesus, people who have that unwavering faith that will take it right to the edge and not give up and not give in. They have all gone through fires. They've all gone through trials. Their character is strengthened because it was tested. Your character is only ever strengthened when your faith is tested. It's just like steel. Steel is forged and tempered. It's tempered when it's applied to heat. And the heat makes it strong. Your faith, your character is only strengthened when your faith is tested. Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you're going to persevere. But through that, James says, consider it joy. Because your faith, your character is being tested. Your character is being strengthened. God wants to use all the things that are happening in your life for your betterment. Change your perspective. But I don't like it. I know you don't like it. It's not about whether you have to like it or not. But look what God wants to do. God can use what you are going through on the outside to work on the inside. God will use everything that's happening outside of you to work on the inside of you. But you have to say, okay, I'm open to that. I'll receive that. I want that. God, this is hard, but I I want that. Now, it's amazing to me because we read those first couple of verses, right? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. When perseverance is complete, you're mature, lacking nothing, and you say, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful, but I can't do it. How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to persevere in the face of the crap that's happening in my life? Because some of you are going through some really hard stuff. And you're going, there's no way I can make it through. It's as if James is writing this and he knows, almost like the Holy Spirit's inspiring him. And here he is, as he's writing it, he says, no, I know what you're going to say. I can't, sounds good, I can't do it, I'm not strong enough. He says, I know. So here's what you need to remember. If you lack wisdom on how to persevere, if you don't know how you're going to get through, if you don't know how to hang on, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. For if you doubt, you're like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because people like that are double-minded and unstable in all they do. So, he's, so James is saying, listen, there's going to be times when you need help. We all do. There's going to be times when you won't know what to do because most of the time we have no idea what we're supposed to do. There's going to be moments when you say, I don't know how I can even hold on to my faith. I'm under so much pressure. I'm under so much pain. There's so much heat being poured into my life. I don't know if I can hold on. And at that moment, James says, here's what you do. Turn to God, turn to God, turn to God. Ask him for wisdom. 
Ask him for the wisdom what you should do. Ask him for the strength to hold on. Ask him for the wisdom to know how to persevere. Don't try and do it on your own because when you ask God for wisdom, he'll give you wisdom. He doesn't find fault. In other words, he doesn't belittle us. He doesn't say, how could you ask for help in a time of need? He says, that's why I'm here. I'm a loving father. We serve a God who generously pours those things into our lives when we say, God, I need your help in this moment. He says, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. That way, when you come out on the other side, that wisdom will also say, I didn't do this on my own. I only got through this because of God's grace, because he strengthened me, because he enabled me. So it wasn't my wisdom. It was God's. So when I come through the other side, not only is my character strengthened, but I am drawn closer to him. But if you refuse to do that on the other side, you'll find yourself farther away. Look how great I am. I got it all figured out. And pride separates you. Or you throw up your hands and say, I can't do this. It's too hard. And you wander away. So turn to God. For wisdom. Now, here's the thing. When you turn to God for wisdom, James says, you have to expect that he's going to give you wisdom. I mean, you have to believe. If you're going to ask God for something and you don't believe he's going to give it to you, why are you asking? I mean, we, we did child dedications today. If you've ever raised a child, you know when they ask you for something, as misguided as they may be, they believe with their whole heart if they ask if they're cute enough, if they tilt their head just right, that you're going to give them whatever it is that they ask for. That's why they get so upset when the answer is no, because they believe you're going to give it to me. So when you go to God, you have to believe he's going to give this to you. And this is one of the things that God promises us in his word. He'll never say no. If you ask him for wisdom, he'll never say no. But you have to believe he didn't belittle you. He didn't say, how could you ask for wisdom? I thought you were smarter than this. He says, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you generously. But you have to expect that he's going to give you that wisdom and you have to be committed to walk it out. You must expect God to give you wisdom and be committed to following it. In other words, you can't go to God and say, God, give me wisdom. And he says, okay, here's, here's the way I would encourage you to walk this out. Here's what my word says. Here's what godly counsel says. Here's what all these things confirm how to, how to handle this situation. Nah, I don't like that. I appreciate the wisdom, God, but I'm going to do it my own way. If you're not committed to walking out the wisdom God gives you, he's not going to give it to you. Because you can't go to God and say, uh, God, give me wisdom. Okay, great. Um, I don't like it. See, God's wisdom often runs uh, cross-current to our own wisdom, our own desires, the way we want to handle things, our own uh, preferences. So God says, this is the way I want you to do it. Mm, I think I'm going to try it my own way first. When that doesn't work, then we say, no, God, I'm, I think I'm going to go back and try it your way. I mean, I asked you a while ago, and this is what you said, so I'm not going to go back to it. But then if I still don't like the results, I'm going to go and, and watch somebody on TV, watch a YouTube clip. I'm going to find wisdom somewhere. No, we have to be committed. God, if you give me wisdom, I'm committed to walk it out no matter where it takes me, no matter how much it costs me, no matter how long it takes, no matter where it goes. I'm committed to that. So you can go to God with a lot of things. You can go to God and be angry. He doesn't care. You can go to God and yell. 
I don't like this. Okay, I know. I know you don't like it. I, I, I don't want this, but it's part of what you have to go through. God, this isn't fair. I know it doesn't feel fair. I understand. You can go to God and cry, yell, scream. You can go to God and bury your face in his shoulder and cry. Why? Because all of that means you're going to God based on your relationship to God. It's all in the context of relationship. You're my God. You're my heavenly father, as Aaron preached on last week. You're my father. So I can come to you and I can do all those things. God says, it's fine. Come to me with all of that stuff. But then at the end of it, when you say, now, daddy, what do I do? And I whisper in your ear, do this. Are you willing to do it? If you're not, you're going to find out he stops whispering in your ear. If you want godly wisdom, you have to be committed and believe that he's going to give it to you and committed to walking it out. And then James goes on and says this. See, it, James is, is um, this makes me laugh this next verse. It's almost like, okay, consider it joy. You're going through all this stuff. Now, I want to really drive this home. So not only do I want you to consider it joy, I want you to realize it's a privilege. You're going through trials. You're going through stuff. Everything is hit the fan. You're privileged. You are actually blessed. This is what he says. Believers in hum humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they, the rich, will pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers away the plant. The blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And there's a lot there and it can be confusing, but here's the idea that you're going through trials, you're going through difficulties, things are not easy, and our tendency to, is to say, those people aren't walking in God's blessing. I mean, if you're not financially blessed, if you're not uh, living an easy life, if things aren't going well, if you're facing struggles and obstacles and challenges, and you've got bad reports, and you've got uh, uh, all these things coming into your life, relational discord, all this stuff, obviously you're not walking in God's blessing. But if you're rich, if you're kickback, carefree, easy life, you've got everything you need and you don't have any problems, that's clearly an indicator of God's blessing. That's how we view it. James says, I want to turn this whole thing topside down because you misunderstand. You misunderstand. You can go back. I don't have time to get into this, but you can go back and read Jesus' words in Luke uh, chapter 6 when he talks about uh, when, when you're poor and you're struggling and all these things, you're actually building up a reward for, for yourself in heaven. But when you're rich and you have it easy and everyone loves you and talks so good about you, that's all you're going to get. It's, it, James is picking up on, his, on Jesus' words. And so he's basically saying, listen to me. The rich seem like they have everything. And the poor seem like they have nothing. But the rich should rejoice because God loves them enough that someday he's going to humble them. Someday he's going to take it all away. Someday it's all going to be stripped away because he wants them to realize that they're not the center of the universe. They're not all that. They're not the most important person. And they don't just walk in the uh, blank check of my blessing. And the poor, you know why they should rejoice? Those that are struggling, those that are facing difficulties, you know why they should realize that they're blessed? Because in them, I am forming character. I am developing character in them. When you see someone who's going through a hard time, realize, change your perspective. Realize you're looking at a walking miracle. 
That person at that moment, God is forming in them character and unwavering faith. If they will walk through it, if they will persevere, they will come out and they are the kind of person that can change the world. Rich and the carefree seem to have everything. But James is basically saying this, only when you look from a temporal point of view. It's all about changing your perspective. Look from an eternal point of view. When it comes to eternity, the rich are going to lose everything while the poor are going to gain everything. When you don't take any of your house, money, investments, portfolio, you don't take any of the houses you built, you don't take any of the cars that you own, you don't take any of that with you. When Jesus comes back, if you're rich in this world, you lose everything. When Jesus comes back, if you have nothing, if you're poor, if you're struggling, if you've gone through some things, when he comes back, you gain everything. It becomes it becomes. The last will be first, and the first will be last. So James is saying, I want you to change your perspective. Don't look at the rich as somehow walking in God's blessing. You have to realize that character is only formed when you go through some difficulties, which is why James adds this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, if you want unshakable faith, if you want faith that's gonna carry you through this life into the eternal, if you want to know that when everything is said and done, that you'll be found faithful, it's gonna require going through some trials, going through some challenges, learning to persevere. If you want to live a life of faith that changes the world around you, and you think the only way to get there is by avoiding all the hardships in life. I'm not saying you won't escape as one through the flames, but you will lose so much along the journey. But if you will endure, if you will persevere, if you'll go through some hard times, you will have an unshakable, unstoppable, unfettered faith that will not, nothing will hold you back. Only through perseverance, only through perseverance does your faith become unshakable. So trials, James starts with trials, but he says, now there's one more kind of trial. This is an external. These aren't the things that happen to us. Loss, doctor's reports, financial ruin, relational discord. This, this isn't those things. Well, there's another kind of trial that we face. It's an internal trial. It's the, it's the thing that we wrestle with called sin known as temptation. So Paul, or James says this, when you're tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? By their own evil desires and enticed. So don't ever say the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do it. It was your own desire. You made a choice. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We all wrestle with temptations. God doesn't send them, but even the temptations, our own internal things, God says, if you will persevere, if you will not give in, if you will not give up, if you don't say it's too hard and shrug your shoulders and God doesn't care, I'm just gonna do what I want. Uh, God just wants me to be happy. If you will persevere, do your best to stand up against the temptation. God 
through that will form character in you. Perseverance does not, does not, does not, does not, does not mean sin-free living. We're all going to sin. We're all going to fail. We're all going to mess up. James' point is we have evil desires. If we give in to them, if we entertain them, eventually we'll give birth to sin. We'll do something we wish we hadn't done. If we then don't confess the sin, own the sin, repent of the sin, and change how we're living, it, it will produce in us spiritual death. We're all going to sin. We're all going to mess up. But it's just like needing wisdom to persevere in trials. Turn to God. In the face of temptation, turn to God. God, help me. I don't know how to overcome this. I don't know how to stand against this this sin that's threatening to overtake my life. God, give me wisdom. Give me perseverance. Give me strength. And when you fall and mess up and sin and do something you wish you hadn't done, turn to God, turn to God, turn to God. But don't ever, don't ever, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Turn to God and he'll forgive you. Say, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I messed up. Oh, help me. Help me. Help me. And he will. See, we go to God and ask for his forgiveness. The forgiveness cleanses us from the sin. But there's a second part of forgiveness. When we go to God, it's not just saying, God, I'm sorry for what I did. Then we need to repent. And repent, we get this so confused. Repent isn't really about, I want to stop doing bad things, wrong things, hurtful things. Repentance isn't about stopping something. Repentance is about starting something. Repentance means you start doing what's right. You start doing what's right. You start doing what's right. Repentance means I'm going in the other direction. If I was going this way, I'm going to go this way. If I was angry and yelling at people, I'm going to be loving and kind and compassionate. If I was uh, self-centered and selfish and materialistic and I didn't give, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to share. If I was stealing... If I was lying, if I was defaming people, I'm going to be a person of integrity and truth, kindness. If you start doing what's right, you'll naturally stop doing what you shouldn't be doing. But if you think, I'm going to repent, so I'll never do this stuff again, it's by your own strength, it's by your own power, by your own wisdom. And you'll just find yourself in this never-ending cycle. So repentance says, God, forgive me, I'm sorry. Help me to live the way you want me to live. Help me to care for the lost and the least and the unfortunate and the hurting and the confused and those who don't know how to get through the situations they're facing. God, help me to be that person. Help me to live that way. I can't stop doing bad as much as I try. When you look at a mirror, what does a mirror tell you? It just tells you if your face needs to be washed or if it's clean. But the mirror won't clean your face. When you say, this is what I want to stop doing, all you do is see what you don't want to do. It will never clean your face. But when you start doing what God asks you to do, all of a sudden you stop doing what you don't want to do. And it cleans you. It cleanses you from all unrighteousness. So that's where James starts. He jumps right in and says, I want you to understand something. If you want to overcome the trials and temptations in your life, it takes perseverance. But his one recurring theme throughout these opening verses is that it's a choice, it's a choice, it's a choice. It's a choice to persevere. It's a choice to ask for wisdom. It's a choice to say I'm committed to you, God, and to walking out the wisdom you give me. God, it's a choice that I'm going to remain faithful. 
It's a choice that when sin threatens to overtake me, I'm gonna cry out to you. So here's my question for you today. In the face of trials and in the face of temptations, what choice are you gonna make? I'm gonna ask if you'd stand with me. I wanna pray for you. This is where James starts and he's just getting warmed up. Next week, we're gonna talk about genuine spirituality, how to live the word of God, not just hear the word of God. How do we walk it out in genuine, authentic ways? But it starts by saying, God, help me to persevere. Help me to persevere. Give me wisdom. Make me committed. Help me to live for you, not my own sinful desires. So if that's you here this morning, if you'd say, I need some perseverance, I need some wisdom, I need some strength, I'm going through some stuff right now, and I know I've had the wrong perspective, but God, I want this to be used to form character in me. I'm just going to ask right now where you are, if you close your eyes, bow your head, if you're joining us online, there's going to be a button that pops up that says, God, help me to persevere, give me wisdom. You can click that if you're here with us this morning in person and you say, that's what I want. I need wisdom. I need perseverance. I need, I need to be committed. I need the strength to overcome. I don't want to live for my own evil desire, selfishness, my own ways anymore. If that's you right where you are, just raise your hand. Every eye closed, every head bowed. This is just you and God saying, I'm doing this. And you say, why do I need to raise my hand? If it's just between me and God, can't I just raise my hand in my heart? Because at some point you have to put your faith into action. So it's a simple little thing. My eyes are closed. I'm not looking. I don't care if you raised your hand or not. God cares. God's looking. And it matters because you're saying this isn't just an internal thing. How I live is seen by others. So God, I, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. Heavenly Father, right now, for every hand that's raised, for every person who clicked the button online, I'm praying that you would do what you promised you would do. You said if we come to you and we want to persevere and we want to change our perspective and we want the wisdom on how to endure through some things, and God, we want to overcome the evil desires in our lives. If we turn to you, you will give generously. So God, we're asking we're believing, we're receiving that wisdom that you said you'd pour into our lives. So God, open our hearts to receive. God, give us the uh, ability by your grace to walk it out. God, your wisdom without the accompanying acts is empty. God, we need to walk out the wisdom you give us, so help us, help us. As I prayed earlier, give us the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do it, even if it's hard. And it will be, but it will be so, so worth it. Form in us, God, the character that we need. Develop in us that unwavering faith, God, that we would change the world in which we live. Now we're gonna worship God through some songs. If you would like prayer, if you would say, Pastor, you know, this, this has hit some things in my life. I like prayer. We're going to have prayer teams up here. We would love to pray with you and for you and speak life and hope and help into that situation. So as we sing this song, if you'd like prayer, please come forward.